Let me ask everybody on Skype, please turn off your microphone so that you don't disturb others. Bruchem Aboyim B'Shem Hashem B'Rachnuchem Ibeis Hashem Wednesday night Something wrong with the call. What is going on? I don't know. Okay. Wednesday night, Chof, Earl Chof Shvat, Earl Chof Shvat, hello with you, Teshvat. Firstly, I'd like to make mention of Sham of Malach Yehud bin Avram, Shavan Aliyah. Today, Bamincha is the last Kaddish, 11 months. Honestly, I never met the person. I had asked uh, others to try to fill me in about him. Sometimes we're left to judge. Not sometimes, but always, actually. And it's interesting, and it's ironic, actually, in that... Bezin Shamaila, the heavenly courts judge a person. How do they judge the person? Firstly, they judge the person for all his deeds. As we know, there's a book, a ledger, signed daily by the Neshama. saying exactly what the person did that day. Over the months of Kaddish, the person's passing, the person goes through the heavenly tribunals, 
the blessing of God. Everybody receives a good passing grade and it's sent straight to Ganadin. Heaven forbid there's a sin that one has performed, one has unfortunately fallen to its temptation. If that being the case, that being the case, person over 11 months serves all they need to serve, is punished all they need to be punished. punished, what they need to be punished, and is now is now able to move on, to forge ahead, and to do what the Neshama is obligated to do, and to do what the Neshama was created for. Why is this going wrong here? I don't know. Most importantly, I'd like to mention the upcoming birthday. We have tonight our sponsorship. Tonight's sheer was sponsored in honor of the upcoming birthday of my grandson, Yisrael Tzvi. He should be well. Health, give nachas to his parents, and to the Rebbe. Turning to Mitzvahim, Zutahit embarks now. <coughs> although there are those that want to use the expression, he embarks now on the terrible twos. Rather, I would say, he now goes into the year of Gimel, capital Gimel, heading us towards Miyat Hashem, the first, his first, first milestone of Simcha. He had his bris. He unfortunately, not unfortunately, Baruch Hashem, was not able to have a pidyon aben because of a his father being a levi. Subsequently, there's no pidyon aben, and he has Baruch Hashem. I see what's going on here. I think, I think, again, because people that are not upgraded to 5.0 on Skype, the others cannot get the video.
Um, okay, everybody on Skype, and I'll do, you, do me a favor. I'll have to disconnect and recall you. I'm calling everybody back. How come my speaker's on? I don't know. I don't know. There's something wrong with the video feed. I'm not on my side, on your side, I guess. I don't know why. Um, also, this Shabbos, for those that are checking your calendar, Chav Bey Shvat, the yard site of the Rebetzin, the Rebbe's wife. In the past, on Shirim, on Shvat, we've told stories about the Rebbetzin. I don't understand why this is happening here, why you can't, why I can't see you. Okay, that works for me. We discussed the many different stories of the Rebetzin. The Rebbe revered the Rebetzin more than just as a husband and wife. <clears throat> the, rever- the reverence of the Rebbe to the Rebetzin was the fact that Marrying the Rebetzin became the Rebbe's direct connection to the Friedrich Rebbe, to the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. And this, therefore, was everything, meant everything to the Rebbe. <coughs> Not that Chasashalom, but her passing, he felt it was severed. Not that he felt Chasashalom, that he was no longer connected. The connection came from a different channel. <clears throat> but Anchav Beishvat was an extremely painful moment for the Rebbe. For the entire year, Tavshin Memchas, the Rebbe stayed home. The Rebbe stayed home every Shabbos. The Rebbe came to 770. But during the week itself, the Rebbe Davin, the Rebbe said Kaddish in his house. See, there's a big special treat here. I would have sprung for it, I knew you were going to do this. Okay. See me after the year. The fresca has arrived. Tremendous, tremendous devotion 
and dedication the Rebbe had to the Rebbetzin. Sorry, that was a mistake. You know, make a bracha, you hold something in your right hand. Devotion, the dedication that the Rebbe had to the Rebbetzin. And the Rebbe went to the Rebbetzin each time to the hospital. Every time she went to the hospital, the Rebbe went with. Except for this last time. Right. Okay. It's Spoke about my grandson's upcoming birthday. It's today. Yutes Shvat was my mother Lashalom's birthday. To not get too emotional, or to not to get too involved. L'chaim. <laughs> Boy, that's so sweet. This Shabbos, most importantly, of course, as always, that the entire week is considered as such, is the week of Pasha's Yisrael. know, <laughs> we think sometimes of streets that get named. Raoul Wallenberg had a, na- a street named after him. Um, all different lieutenants and soldiers and police officers that die in the line of duty, etc. That have streets and squares and, and, and blocks and neighborhoods named after them. It's a very, very beautiful thing and a very, very wonderful way of paying tribute. So you can only imagine if a Parsha in the Teda is named after a person, wow, what this person must have been. It was Yisrael. Who was Yisrael? Kohen Midian. He was the priest in Midian. And we name a Pasha after him. Ultimately, Moshe Rabbeinu marries his daughter. Daughter Tzipeda. And another daughter marries Pinchas, correct. Moshe Rabbeinu's great-nephew. But he was Kayan Midjan. Yisrael was not only a priest, but he managed to serve every single possible idol. <laughs> so, as we well imagine, the furthest thing in your mind you would imagine to find a name like Yisrael is on the portion of the Teda. A whole Teda portion named after such a person. Mind-boggling. Where's Ezra? Outside? 
way more exciting than the Shia. But Yishma Yisrael, I've said this before, but I find it a very, very interesting thing to always repeat. Yisrael heard what was done to the Jewish nation, and Rashi explains what that was. And he heard what was done to Moshe. Therefore, thereby, says the Teda, in succession of the Psukim, the first thing Yisrael does after hearing what happened to Moshe, he brings Tzipayra and the children. What happened to Moshe? Which obviously, according to the Teda, is directly connected with that Yisrael bringing Tzipayra, the wife, and the children. Going to go to a little Medrashic history. Because the actual Torah text does not mention this. When the Almighty God came to Mesha and said, Go to Egypt to free the Jews, Mesha ultimately reluctantly accepted as such the mission. And obviously, as we know from many sages, went to discuss this with his wife. Elizabeth Azariah also, when he was asked to become Nasi Israel, said, I have to ask my wife. Moshe didn't go ask his wife, he went to discuss it with his wife, and Moshe said to him, and, and Zipporah said to him, No, I don't agree. And Moshe says, but the Almighty God of the world of the Jews told me to do it. I have to go to Egypt. She says, no, I don't agree. He says, then why not? She says, because I want my husband. I don't want you to get killed. Ha, said Moshe, that's the reason. Understand, my dear wife. The Almighty said, I am going to take the Jews out of Egypt. So I obviously will not be killed. Tzipira was a very wise woman. And she says to Moshe, let me ask you, Moshe, the Almighty guaranteed you that because of you, the Jews will come out of Egypt. What happens if Pare decides to hostage you? Take you as a hostage, put you in some prison, a rotten prison in Egypt, and for you, he'll let the Jews go. What would you tell him? Of course, I would definitely sacrifice myself for the Jewish nation. So for the cause, as we will call it, you are prepared to obviously do anything to go to any length and any distance to be able to com- accomplish what needs to be accomplished. He says, of course. I want to tell you the law in the Torah, she says. If a husband disappears, the woman remains what's called an aguna. She cannot marry anyone else because she doesn't know if her husband's alive or not. And yet, I remain all alone. I'm not ready to do that. However, the Torah does give another such solution. 
And that other solution is the cost of La Sefer Krisus. To write a get. To divorce the wife. If the wife is divorced, the husband and wife are divorced, then there's no problem. The wife is free to remarry and he's free to remarry. So she asked for a get. At the time, Moshe was a Kayan. And although the Torah tells us a mitzvah of Machzik Rishasai, remarrying a divorced wife, A Kayan cannot remarry his divorced wife. He cannot marry any divorced wife. A Kayan is not allowed to marry a divorced woman. <laughs> Quick riddle. Um, you're welcome to answer on Skype. On type or texting. When a man and woman get divorced, he's called a divorcee. She's called a divorcee. When a woman, God forbid, dies, the man is called a widower. What do we call the husband of a widow? Okay, very good. The husband of the widow is called dead. Anyway, um, Moshe was a Kayan and was not allowed to be married to Pera. If he gave her a divorce now, He's going to Egypt. They cannot get remarried. When Moshe was hesitant to God's command, the Almighty demoted him. The Almighty demoted him and made him a levy. Aaron Achicho Yekayanecho. Aaron, your brother, will be the Kayan and you will become a levy. Ah, said Yisrael. Vayishma Yisrael. Yisrael heard what the Almighty did to Mesha, he made him a levy. So therefore, now the first thing he does is bring back Tzapeda. Now you can remarry your wife. Because you're not a Kayan. You're not a Kayan, you can remarry your wife. My, husband, my son would be livid if I didn't repeat his brilliant Chachmah. We see that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he meets Yisrael with the children and the wife, bows down to Yisrael. What do we see from this? We see that a son-in-law has to greatly appreciate when a wife and a children go to the to the in-laws for vacation. He has to appreciate the in-laws so much so that he has to bow down to them when he gives them back. Yeah. Anyway. So now he's very happy and he won't be upset all night long. Atta Yadaiti, Atta with an I, and now I know, says Rashi, 
that Yisrael says, Ki Godl Hashem Elikim. Yisrael says now, he confesses, professes to say, now I know that the Almighty is greater than all gods. In the Zohar it tells us, only after Yisrael's confession, after his succession, after he said and succeeded this, and said, God Hashem Alaikim, he his declaration declaring God greater than all other gods. Only then was Matantera able to come about. Only then was the receiving of the Torah on Sinai able to happen. Yisrael represents as the Zayar Sitra Achra. The Yisatar Smola. The furthest left that one could go on the Sitra Akhra, the opposite of Kedusha. The Klippa that has absolutely no Kedusha in it is what Yisra represented. So through this, that now even he, the Sitra Akhra itself, professed the greatness of God. Only then came about the world now is now able and capable that the Almighty gives the Torah. On that basis, we understand why the Pasha is called after Yisrael. We understand why the Torah has takes a parsha, a Torah portion, and gives it the name Yisrael. And which portion is that? The one that talks about not in Tata, the receiving of the Torah. Because technically, we should have called the parsha talking about Matan Torah, Matan Torah, Har Sinai. Why it's Yisrael? This parsha of all the parshas. This is the lesson that each and every one of us has when we come to accepting Tera. Just like by Matan Tera, only after a Yisrael, the Sitra Akhra, professed the greatness of God, so too if we want to accept, to study, and to learn Tera the way it needs to be studied, It's not enough that our neshama, our holy neshama, has within itself, within its nature, the want and the yearning to accepting and to completing the want of the Eivishter. That it wants to accept the Torah. But the person needs to work on themselves and to be able to ultimately pale also on their physical body. A physical body that wants fresca. A physical body that wants a jelly ring. A physical body that wants something physical. That also that physical body wants greatness, wants to accept God wants to learn Teda the way it's supposed to, and understand it the way it's supposed to be. Only after one conquers his body as well, not just the soul, 
But the body, the Yisrei, of each and every one of us, and the Yisrei, the body, now professes, oh, light's flashing out there, professes that it wants God, only then can a person be Mechabal Teda and understand it properly and to be successful with it. And that is why Parshas Yisrael, the Parsha talking about Matan Teda, teaches us a lesson that we need to conquer our Yisrael, our physical capacity in this world. So that the physical wants to become spiritual as well. Maestres. Extras. Chassidim are taught to live on what they can suffice. They should not indulge. There's Shmuel Reichik. When he came from Etvatsk, he was the Shriach, he became the Shriach of Hedshriach of California, the entire state of California. He walked in once to 770 and saw Bakram eating ice cream. And he grabbed his beard and he said, Moisrus and Taimchat Mimim. Excess in the yeshiva of the Rebbe. He couldn't believe it. Speaking of things that we don't believe, <laughs> we were all by Mount Taylor, believe it or not. And we were all standing side by side. So we can't blame anybody else but ourselves. What happened the night before Matan Taylor? Says Rashi. Excuse me, says Shirim Rabba. Medish and Shirim. The Jews slept that entire night. It's a very sweet sleep, and the light was very short. The Almighty came and found them sleeping. And Moshe had to wake them up. As it says, Wow. Wow. The night before Matantera, the nation went to sleep. The Ran tells us, at the end of Masech Psachim, and we spoke about it last week as well. The Jews left Egypt and started to count the days that they were going to Matan Teda to accept the Teda. <laughs> no. Can you imagine the fervor? You know, anything that excites you? Now, yes, when you got married, when you make weddings for your children, God willing. Or even when a boy is born and you make counting the eight days to the bris. Or a firstborn boy is born and you're counting the 30 days for the Pijana Ben. But you account every day, every moment is precious. And you know that it's bringing you closer and closer. This is the story 
of the famous clock that was in a hotel in an inn. And the Yerushina, the Helik Yerushina, was in the hotel. The Yerushina of the Chais of Lublin. And he was sleeping in the room with that clock and he came running out, he was dancing all night long. And the innkeeper asked him, what were you dancing about? And he said, your clock. I don't know where you got this clock, it was a special clock, it was a whole long story of where the clock came from. This clock ticks every minute saying we are getting closer and closer to Mashiach. So the Jewish nation is anticipating the receiving of the Teda. How is it then possible the night before Matan Teda, they slept. Not just slept, a sweet sleep. If you're going to fall asleep because you're very tired of the journey and everything else, okay, toss and turn all night long. It's Matan Teda. Even a person the night before their wedding, whatever it is, the night before a big simcha, they toss and turn all the excitement and the anticipation and the adrenaline that's pumping. They slept. We know, of course, that the neshama, when it's in our body, has very many restrictions to it. There's only a certain amount the physical body can do. However, when one goes to sleep and the neshama leaves the body and goes lamaila, its options are infamous, are infinite. To do things and accomplish things that it can never do within the restraints of a physical body. This is therefore perhaps how we can explain why the Jews went to sleep. Because they felt that in a physical body, the neshama will not prepare itself properly for Matan Teda. They felt that it would be best off in a sleeping mode, where the body leaves it alone and the body lets the neshama prepare. So although the theory is in essence correct, Still in all, this is considered a sin for the Jews. Because what was the essence of Matan Teda, of accepting the Teda? As we spoke before, to make physical, mundane things spiritual. They should rest and they should become one in spirituality and Kedusha. In holiness. So even during sleeping, they should have been feeling and reaching out to the highest of levels. But still in all, the body was not getting what it had to have. And therefore their obligation was to actually see to it that the holiness permeates the actual physical body. And by going to sleep, it was only the soul that was getting the Kedusha.
the Jews arrive at Har Sinai. Vayichan shom Yisrael neged hor. And Yisrael rested there in front of the mountain. Vayichan nad vayachanu. Vayichan meaning singular. But the entire nation was there. You should say vayachanu. What is the vayichan? So Rashi explains to our dear Ben Chamesh the Mikra, Ki'ish echod, belev echod. One person and one heart. You going upstairs? We read last week in the Pasha B'Shalach. V'hinei Mitzrayim noiseya achareihem. Mitzrayim was chasing him. It does not say Mitzrayim noisim achareim. It does not say plural. The many Egyptians were chasing, all of them were chasing after the Jews, but rather noisea singular. And Rashi explains why does it say singular by the Egyptians chasing the Jews. Because believe echod kiish echod, one heart as one person. But when it talks about the Jewish nation's unison, when the united front of the Jewish nation was as one, Rashi says kiish echod believe echod, one person, one heart. Whereas by the Egyptians it says one heart, one person. What is the difference? The halacha that's kept, the law that is mentioned, out of all the laws that are ever mentioned, the one that is kept the most immaculately and and properly to the utmost level, is a halacha that Rabbi Shimon Bayechai said. Rabbi Shimon Bayechai said, halacha Esav Soina liyakov. There is a halacha that Esav hates Yaakov. So although I know we've got, we've had many experiences with good neighbors, I'm not talking about State Farm. We've had good neighbors, we had, Wonderful experiences of co-workers that are not Jewish, but so kind and compassionate and friendly. But the bottom line is, Esav, Seine Liyakiv. We should never, ever see that ugliness rear its head again. But during the Holocaust, the nicest smiling neighbors pointed to the apartments where the Jews lived when the Nazis came in. Only one redeeming story, slightly redeeming from all these Holocaust episodes besides the Wallenberg and the 
the Schindler, etc., that saved hundreds of thousands of Jews. In a little city, we've told this story as well before, the Rebbe, the Dinevi Rebbe, who ultimately became the Blizzard Rebbe, who when he came to America, I had the schus, the merit of him being my sandik, my bris, used to go for a walk every day. After davening, he'd go for a walk, after davening, a shir, whatever it was, he went for a little walk. But in this, during this walk, he encompassed the entire town. Now, every, we all live today in different rural areas, uh, sub- suburbia even, but to walk, to imagine walking every day around your entire town, walk around Queens, or walk around uh, Atlanta, be a little awkward. As would be walking around Brooklyn. But he walked around his entire shtetl, and on the outskirts of the shtetl was a guy. The name of the guy was Herr Muller. Herr Muller spent every day. You know something? I don't know if this story is actually the blizzard himself. Herr Muller spent every day tending his garden in the morning. So when the rabbi was walking around the city and he came to the outskirts of the town Hermullah would be standing there and the rabbi made it a point every day to say Good morning Hermullah and Hermullah would answer the love every day Good morning Rabiner this was on automatic pilot, my friends. Every single day, the Rav walked by and he said, Good morning, Herr Muller. And Herr Muller answered, Good morning, Rabiner. Well, as you might know, World War II broke out, and the kindest and most compassionate Germans turned to animals. Amongst them, our little garden man, our kind little friend over here at the end of the town, Herr Müller, became a guard in a concentration camp. The entire town was sent to the concentration camp. And daily faced selections. I don't even want to describe a selection. It's too horrific. But the person would direct them to the right or to the left. This person, by the wave of his stick, decided on the person's life, or God forbid, the opposite. The entire town was on the line for the selection. Men, the women and the children, including the Rav. They all had their numbers already. And the man in the front doing the selection had his cap 
the shade of his cap over his eyes. They wouldn't look at you in the eye even. And was screaming, Resht Link, Resht Link. But the bark, it wasn't just a screaming, it wasn't just a loud voice. It was a bark. I sometimes tell the stories and my children want, don't want to believe how I was in Dachau going through this. be a little awkward considering I'm only 55. Um, as the Rav got closer though, he recognized the voice of this person. And he couldn't believe it. And as he got in front of this barking guard or soldier or whatever he was, he said to him in his soft voice, Gut Morgen Herr Muller. And the guard froze and said immediately, Good morning, Rabbiner. And he said, Rabbiner, what are you doing here? And the Rav explained, I'm here with everybody else, the entire town. And although this man had a hatred to all Jews, the Rabbiner had a special place in his heart. He immediately took down the Rabbiner's number from his arm, and the next day, the Rabbina was set out on to go to tell his story. He was set free and survived the war. So we see, therefore, when it comes to the hatred of the Jews, the Egyptians, in their own way, in their own life, didn't get along with each other. From Parai to the Khartoumim, until the ones that were Yareyes Dvar Hashem. No matter what level Egyptian they were, they didn't talk with each other, they didn't get along. One thing they all came to a common denominator, and one thing they all joined forces with, hatred of the Jews. And therefore when it came to the Egyptians... Rashi tells us they were one, Belev Echod, Ish Echod. One heart, and one person. Because the fact that they were Ish Echod, like one man, as they were chasing after the Jews, that was only because they were Lev Echod. They had one motive, they had one mission they were on, to kill the Jews. So in essence, they were not an Ish Echad only because, but here the only reason they were considered Ish Echad was because they were all on the same mission. Masha'en came the Jewish nation, somewhat differently the Jewish nation. A Jew, the Jewish nation is one. And they all, we are all one brothers and sisters together. We are one nation, we are one Am Yisrael. And therefore when we refer to the Jews, we are Ish Echad and Lev Echad. In the beginning we are Ish Echad. Because the unison between one Jew to the next. And because the essence, as a person we are one, the hearts are one. And therefore we all want to accept the Torah.
But we all have our own approach. The Rebbe Marash, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe, had many different chsidim. He had two chsidim that were very wealthy. Excuse me. Rebbe Marash told the story about chsidim of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe had two wealthy chsidim, he had several I'm sure, that gave for all the Alter Rebbe's requests, whether it be for the Eretz Yisrael, for the Chassidim in Eretz whether it be for the Yeshivas, whatever it was, the Alter Rebbe asked for, they helped. However, there were two opposites, the two. Their personalities were totally different. One worked Mermaila Lamata, and one worked Mermaila Lamata what does that mean? One worked Milmata Lamaila that he first did what had to be done and then looked to see esoterically what have I accomplished. And the other had to first reach up into the stars and the heavens and the skies, become one with God and become united in the holiest and loftiest. And only then did he ultimately try to translate it into the physical, mundane world? The Altarebbe once sent a chassid to these two chassidim. He said, get me money from them. Not how much, and not for what. When he arrived, the chassid that worked on Matalamayla that first did and then try to figure out the esoterical meaning. The Chassid said, how much does the Rebbe want? And he said, I don't know. So immediately the Chassid went throughout his entire house, took together every penny he had in the house, and he gave it to the messenger. When he came to the other Chassid, the other Chassid said, how much does the Rebbe want? He said, I don't know. He said, you know what, I'll find out. I'll travel to the Rebbe and I'll find out how much the Rebbe needs. I'll take whatever the Rebbe can imaginably want and I'll give it to him then. When the messenger returned to the Alter Rebbe, he told the Alter Rebbe the two responses. He brought him the money and he brought him the message. And the Rebbe said, when will he bring me the money? After the event? Before the event. To which the Altarebis, to which the Chassid said, I don't know. The first Chassid that sent the money came and arrived in the Adi the next day. And the Altarebis told him, I want you to move. Leave your house and move. Shh. So he said, Where to? And the Altarebis did not answer. So he went, he went home, sold whatever he was able to sell, packed everything up, and traveled to the Ajna, where the Altarebbe was. 
He put his family in a home, wherever they'd be comfortable in the meantime, and he went off to shul. He worked mamata lamayla, what the first I do and then I worry. The other chassid didn't. The other chassid said, I'm going to go soon to the Alter Rebbe, I'm going to bring him by. Proper donation, like I said. I'm t- but till he got around to leaving, there was a fire in the town, and his entire wealth was wiped out. Now, Trevor said before or after. This week's parasha, we have the Aseris Adibris. You all know, of course, and we've said this a million times probably, the little almost joke that when the terror reads, when we read the Valkyrie reads the Aseris Adibris, the Ten Commandments, we must look inside the Chumash. Why do we have to? We stand up and we face the Torah. As we stand and face the Torah, we have to look inside the Chumash. Why do we have to look inside the Chumash? Because it says in the Seder Sadibis, the Ten Commandments, Le Signav, Le Setzach, Le Sinaf. Now it says it with an Aleph, meaning you're not allowed to kill, you're not allowed to steal, you're not allowed to covet. But there are people that know that they know that the word loy can also be written with a vov, which doesn't mean no; it means to him. So when a person like this is listening and he's not looking in the chumash and doesn't see it, says an aleph, he says, "Oh, it must be with a vov." Loy signayv, loy seltzach. Him I should steal from. Him I should kill. And therefore we tell you, you have to look into the Chumash so you know what's really supposed to happen. Not to steal. Does that mean only going with a gun and not stealing from the person? The famous story there's a famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. As he was traveling to the wedding of his grandson, or grandchild, Yaakov Yosef Polonia was asked by the, by the Baal Shem Tov to officiate the wedding. And as this entire entourage started to head out, there was a wagon passing. And the Bashemta said, wait a minute. And he ran over to the wagon and he spoke to the person inside the wagon or riding the wagon. And the person immediately said, okay, and he left. The Hasidim, seeing the Bashemta on his way to a wedding, stopped to talk to this person. He must be one of the 36 hidden Sadiqim. So the Hasidim immediately told the older Hasidim couldn't do it, shouldn't be too obvious and conspicuous. They told the younger Hasidim, go find out who this person is and find out what the Rebbe told him. And as they chased up this person, they caught him in an inn. And they said, the Rebbe, please tell us who you are. 
And he looked at them and said, Rebbe, I'm not a Rebbe. Ah, you must be a hidden tzaddik. He says, far from it. But the Rebbe spoke to you. He must have been telling you one of the secrets of Tera. I please don't 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 even confuse me with that. Don't even go there. Conversation went back and forth until he acquiesced to explain what happened. I have a childhood friend. We grew up together all our lives. And ultimately we both got married, we both have families, we live right across the street from each other. My friend has a custom Business-wise, he goes out, does for a few weeks at a time, he goes out and does his business, and he returns home with a substantial amount of money, he sells flax, he returns with his money, and he pays off all his debts. And he leaves over some money for his wife and children, and he travels again. And he does this on accounts, this is his way of living. Recently, he returned back from a journey, and everybody was around the house and was welcoming him home. He hasn't been away for so long. So all the neighbors, the friends, were coming in and saying hello. I was very Hamish in the house, and I went to the cabinet to get some tobacco for a cigarette. I opened the cabinet, and there is the wallet of money. The whole bag of money is sitting right there and open. He says, oh my gosh, I have to teach him that he can't do that. So I took the wallet, I put it away, and I said, I'm going to find him later, I'm going to to come back. And when he sees that what could have happened, I'll have taught him a lesson. To make an extremely long story short, it didn't, the occasion didn't present itself. Because as he sat, as he, the longer he took to give back the money, the more it was noticed, the more people were involved, the more the story went out, and it was now a blood libel. If God forbid this person gets caught, he's going to be killed. Because, look, this man was just destroyed, was ruined. Ay, what should we say? Bottom line, I sat with this money and I said, I'm going to wait for the good opportunity to give it back. My Yitzhahara said, it's not going to present itself so fast. Go invest the money. Eh, not investing. Finally, the Yitzhahara said to me, you know what? Take the money. He's not getting it back. He gave up on it. Travel to another city. Move somewhere else. Set up, re-establish life. People will think you went there and you moved there and you became wealthy there. People won't realize. People won't think about you. won't consider and shalom. Just leave it alone. Go. He said, I can't, I could, I can't. Finally, my Yitzhahara won. And I was journeying now to find a new city, to bring my family to, and settle here, open up shop with the money, and I'd be a rich man again. I'd be a rich man on my own, and nobody would even talk about it because they won't know what happened to me. The Bashemtov stopped me. And told me, this is a gather of Lysignaif. Even if you want to only teach a lesson, you're not allowed to do that. What's yours is yours, what's his is his. You may not take somebody else's property. And therefore you must return it immediately. Go to the Rav, go to Abezdin, 
I will come and testify what you did. I will come to testify to say that you did not mean to steal this money. And I will be there to tell everybody that you only wanted to teach a lesson. Says the man, therefore I am ready to go back now because the Rebbe told me that he would do this. But I am far from a tzaddik. Very quickly, another point in this week's parsha it says, Vayikach Yisrael took the Elos Vachim, they brought Aaron, they, they sat down, they ate bread, they partied over here. Vayihim Mokras, and the next day, Moshe sat down to rule the nation. Now she says, what was the Mokras? What was the next day? Matzayim Kippur. Wait a minute. It was Matzayim Kippur the next day. It means the day before when they sat down to have a feast. It was Yom Kippur. What's going on here? Not enough they had a feast in Yom Kippur. The terrorist says it so openly and so gloriously. What cat? <coughs> and they didn't just eat, they had Elam, they had Kabonis, and they ate bread. Simple answer. The Pesach says, this explanation in the Pesach, the reason of all the dinim of Yom Kippur is because the day of Yom Kippur forgives the Jewish nation. Just being in that day, fasting and being, existing in that day, we have Kapara. Hastis, what does the whole thing of, of Yom Kippur come about? The fact that this entire day is a day of forgiveness. But on that year, that didn't happen. Because on that year, only by by Yom Nisratzah And he says, this is Moshe, Salachti Kidvaracha. Only by day, did the Almighty say, I'm happy now, and I forgive. He says, by night, it didn't exist yet, this forgiveness faction. Even when the Amish said, Salachti, it was not yet Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was not yet constituted as Yom Kippur. And therefore the rest of the dinim didn't have effect either on that day. So now we understand why they sat down and brought Karbanis. Because on that year nothing was prohibited yet. As we said, the Shabbos is Chav Shvat. We can only wish that a Kitzvran of Sheikh Neofar, as the Navi said, that we will sing and dance, and that we will experience Tchias Hamesim, and by experiencing Tchias Hamesim, this Shabbos, and the Rebetzin, the Rebbe, the Seichem, of course, and we will all be able to merit to go to Yerushalayim, Irakadesh, and we will be entering, embarking on the Chedesh Adar, as we know, Mishanichnas Adar, Marvin Besimcha, as we'll discuss him yet, next week, the next week being Shabbos Varchim Adar, and we should go from Simcha to the Simcha Amitiz Vashlema, Ayyidei Mashiach Tzidkenu, Shabbat Shalom to all, anyone that needs to talk, can text or recall after the shears close down.